Streaming content would be the future of home entertainment. That's how Reed Hastings viewed where the industry was headed in 2011. At the time, Hastings was the CEO of Netflix, which had gained prominence over the previous decade. Netflix had effectively shuttered blockbuster video and the movie rental market by offering a subscription service in which consumers rented and received videos by mail. And the company soon capitalized on the nascent potential of a digital streaming service, in which a library of content would be available instantly to each subscriber. The combination of home delivery and streaming movies positioned Netflix as revolutionary, and its ease of use and comprehensive catalog kept the service at the top of e-retailer satisfaction surveys for years. Hastings was a visionary. He was not only watching the home entertainment revolution in real time, but could sense that the evolution would eventually center upon streaming. Streaming was immediate expansive, and removed the need to mail and to store DVDs. DVDs were on the path to obsolescence, he wagered, predicting that DVD rental sales would peak by 2013. And the direct-to-consumer experience would soon replace DVDs, and would leapfrog Blu-rays and any other offerings of physical media in the process. Hastings' plan was to split Netflix into two separate companies— One would still offer DVDs by mail to more traditional customers, likely phasing out within the next decade. And the flagship division would embrace the coming technological shift by focusing on the film streaming service. He shared his intention with a friend, who told him it was a horrible idea, and bluntly stated, I don't want to deal with two accounts. Hastings charged ahead anyway, and in July of 2011, Netflix announced the split. To say it was not well-received is a vast understatement. Up to that point, customers paid $10 a month for access to both DVD rentals and the streaming service. Now they were being asked to pay 60% more per month for the same content, with an $8 streaming service charge and an $8 DVD mail service charge. The move earned him the nickname Greed Hastings. Customers could not understand why they were paying more for the same service, and why they had to create two separate accounts when the original had been working smoothly for years. And when it came to streaming, subscribers found themselves suddenly paying more, but receiving less. Stars, a company that owned the rights to a large chunk of the movies appearing on Netflix, decided not to renew its contract with the streaming company in the fall of 2011, and pulled its content from the site. If streaming was indeed the future, ownership of the digital rights to distributing content became much more important and much more expensive. In the aftermath of the changes, the effects were quick and brutal. After seven consecutive quarters of adding a million subscribers, Netflix announced it had lost 800,000 members. The stock plummeted 25% on the news. Within three months of Hastings' announcement to split the company, Netflix had lost three-quarters of its total value. For Hastings and Netflix, the problem in 2011 was not the shift toward new media. It was instead doing so in a way that negatively affected the company's loyal and ardent consumers. It's hard to remember, 
but a decade ago, streaming was not the standard like it is today. Most people at the time were accustomed to renting DVDs. For many, the shift towards streaming would be gradual. Over time, more and more viewers would become comfortable with foregoing physical media and would eventually embrace streaming. But not in 2011. Reed Hastings viewed the split between services as a positive disruptor. But to most subscribers at that time, it was simply a disruption. The streaming titles were far fewer than the DVD offerings, and most of the newer releases were only available by mail. Having both services paired into one monthly $10 subscription gave viewers an opportunity to grow with the company, as streaming became the global sensation Hastings predicted. But with the company's split, subscribers felt they were losing value, even if they were ordering fewer and fewer DVDs by mail. And as a result, a Netflix membership became less enticing. Netflix had made a series of missteps that almost destroyed the company. It had bounded ahead of where consumers were in 2011, instead of prepping them for a smoother and beneficial transition for the future. And the company marred the relationship it had worked so hard to establish over the previous decade. In its haste to reach the next level, it sacrificed the elements that had made it so attractive to its user base. Reliability, comprehensiveness, and convenience. But Netflix's story does not end there. Instead, Hastings apologized publicly for the way in which he had handled the company, and pledged to learn from the customer feedback to the changes. The team at Netflix developed what they called an obsession with their customers, as they cultivated the overall experience for them. Hastings stuck by the split, however, and over the course of the next year, his gamble paid off as streaming subscribers increased exponentially, while the DVD subscriber base steadily diminished. Hastings also invested heavily in original content, as Netflix released its first dramas, House of Cards and Orange is the New Black, in 2013. The originals gave those who abandoned the streaming service a reason to subscribe again. And it gave current subscribers award-winning films and shows, making it a true competitor to prestige channels like HBO. The company also analyzed every customer interaction to hone the precision of its viewer recommendations and to decide what type of original content to create for its audiences. And as its viewership spread across the various continents, Netflix pursued a larger library of international movies and series. Going forward, the decisions Hastings and the leadership team made were ones that carefully considered the user experience for Netflix customers. And that focus has helped to turn Netflix's stumble into a larger success story, as its subscribers increased tenfold, from 24 million in 2011 to a current count of nearly 240 million viewers. The relationship between a company and its customers is essential to success. And for a toy brand like Hasbro, its experiences, both positive and negative, help to strengthen its output as well as its relationship to Star Wars fans and collectors. This is a look at how the lessons of the past few years have helped to shape the most recent Star Wars HasLab project, The Ghost. This is what happens when a company listens to its fans and delivers a dream vehicle 
with the characters that make it so connective and so special. This is what it takes to get a HasLab campaign backed in under a week. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Friday, July 21st, Hasbro premiered its latest HasLab project at San Diego Comic-Con. Through HasLab, the toy company offers premium Star Wars items that would likely never make it to retail. Instead, each HasLab item is given an opportunity to hit a certain number of backers through a crowd-funded campaign. And if it reaches the minimum backer number by the end of the campaign, Hasbro will produce the toy for the fans who placed pre-orders. The first two campaigns were for the three and three quarter inch Star Wars line, known as the Vintage Collection. Jabba's Sail Barge, released in 2018, introduced the idea of HasLab to the world, and has become one of the most coveted modern Star Wars toys from the past three decades. And Hasbro followed up with the Razorcrest ship from the series The Mandalorian, earning more than 28,000 backers in 2020. These two releases prove there was an audience for these larger and more expensive Star Wars toys. And if they were done correctly, and with the fans in mind, they would become beloved items among collectors. But so far, Hasbro has had only a 50% success rate with its Star Wars HasLab offerings. The next two were for the larger scale line called the Black Series. Last year, the team introduced a life-size double-bladed lightsaber for Reva, a villain in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Whether it was the result of a lack of connection to the character, or the lack of interest in a six-foot lightsaber, the campaign only generated 1,500 of the 5,000 required backers, and is the biggest Star Wars HasLab failure to date. And in 2021, Hasbro premiered the Rancor. Developed as part of the 40th anniversary celebration of Return of the Jedi, the Rancor failed for a variety of reasons, many stemming from Hasbro not delivering on what the fans truly wanted. I covered the entire history of the HasLab Rancor in episodes 131 and 132. These episodes will help to explain the disconnect between Hasbro and its fan base. But the quick version is that the Rancor wasn't compelling enough to clear funding on its own, and the incentives offered with the figure were disappointing and actually caused backers to drop out of the campaign. This year, Hasbro returned to what worked in the past, teasing that the latest HasLab project would be for the Vintage Collection. 
And on Friday, July 21st, fans of the animated series Star Wars Rebels were overjoyed at the reveal at Comic-Con. For the first time ever, Hasbro would offer the beloved starship known as the Ghost. The Ghost is the equivalent of the Millennium Falcon for a new generation of Star Wars fans. It was home to the Spectre Squadron, a group of six heroes who played a crucial role in establishing the Rebel Alliance. In the last episode, I shared the history of the Ghost and why I believed it would be both the perfect dream project for Star Wars fans as well as the perfect HasLab campaign for Hasbro. But ahead of the Comic-Con announcement, a concern lingered in the back of my mind. Would the Ghost be the third offering in a string of Star Wars failures? Did the team at Hasbro learn from the mistakes of the two previous projects, as well as from the ones that worked from lines like G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Marvel? Less than four days after the campaign began, I had my answer. The Rebels and HasLab fanbases showed up in a strong way, bringing the backer total to 8,000 in only 91 hours, and reaching the minimum requirement to put the Ghost into production. The Ghost was officially becoming part of the Vintage Collection, but would it reach the 17,000 backers to unlock the three Rebels figures offered as incentive tiers? With more than 40 days left in the campaign, it has a good chance of hitting all of its goals on its way to 20,000. And while that's due to a rabid and growing Rebels fanbase, and the return of the Ghost in the upcoming Ahsoka series on Disney+, it is the quality of the campaign that will continue to convince Star Wars fans to place their pre-orders. Thanks to our friend John Miko, who is one of the admins of the Vintage Collection Facebook group, I was able to watch the HasLab Comic-Con panel in its entirety. And what I saw really impressed me. The presentation reassured me that Hasbro had listened to its fans and had taken into consideration what collectors truly desired in a dream piece like the Ghost. So today, I'd like to share some of the elements from the campaign that have made it an early success story, and a memorable one for those who love Rebels and are excited to bring home the Ghost and its crew. Together, let's explore what Hasbro got right in its latest HasLab campaign. Before we begin, I want to stress how important it is for the Ghost to be a success. As I mentioned earlier, the last two HasLab projects were not backed. And while the Ghost is the first Vintage Collection HasLab campaign since 2020, a third consecutive failure would likely cause Hasbro to pause its Star Wars HasLab offerings, and to focus on other toy lines for its premium releases instead. One of the interesting elements of this particular campaign is the time at which it is occurring. Currently, our economic climate is one in which it is more difficult for the average collector to spend almost $600 on a toy. So it is a testament to the legacy of the Rebels series and to the ship the Hasbro team has created. I know of many collectors who are going against their better judgment financially and against their family-imposed budgets in order to back the Ghost. 
and the enthusiasm for the ship wouldn't be there if the Hasbro team did not capture the magic of what we witnessed on screen. The ship has crossed the minimum backer threshold, and as long as there isn't a substantial exodus before the campaign closes, collectors will receive the ghost, its auxiliary shuttle, the Phantom II, and a carded Hera figure sometime next year. But the campaign isn't finished just yet. There are still three action figure releases that will be unlocked upon reaching various pre-order numbers. And there may be a surprise or two ahead, if the campaign continues its momentum. With that in mind, here are some of the factors that have made the overall HasLab Ghost a successful HasLab campaign. Cost. There were rumors that this next HasLab project would come with a $600 price tag. And while fans had been willing to pay a premium for quality pieces in the past, there were likely fewer who could afford to do so this year. With inflation affecting the cost of living, many felt the economic pinch. As a result, over the past year, collectors put larger ticketed hobby pursuits on hold. A concern had settled in among fans. Would they be priced out of purchasing a ghost if it came in at the $600 mark? The sweet spot for Star Wars HasLab offerings appeared to be in the $350 to $500 range. Anything higher, and it may be less appealing to a larger audience. Because after factoring in shipping and taxes on a $600 item, the price to back it would equate to being closer to $700. And so, many fans were relieved when the Hasbro team announced the price of this HasLab project would be comparable to the 2018 sale barge at $500. Balance Keeping the Ghost affordable would affect the ship's build, as well as the features Hasbro could offer with it but the team found a healthy balance between quality and cost. At Comic-Con, they mentioned the fact that the Ghost would not come with any electronics, like lights, sounds, or power-based moving parts. Instead, the money that would have been allocated to those additions were used on the overall structure and design of the ship. And many would likely agree that it's better to get a detailed, high-quality Ghost with no electronics than to get a cheaper build with some battery-operated features. In an interview with the website Gizmodo, Star Wars product design manager Chris Reif discussed how the team found the balance between design and cost for the Ghost. He said, We push, and we keep pushing until we find that space, and then we have to pull back a little bit. And that's part of what we do. And we're still pushing. I think I mentioned earlier that what you see here is a moment in time. This is not where we are right now in Ultimate Development. This is what it will look like. This is the size, this is the detail we're going to have. We're continuing to push and to add all the detail we can into this thing. But we're trying to plus all these little details up and do whatever we can for Deco and everything else.
Lucasfilm Mentorship. I don't think there has been or will ever be a better time for Hasbro to produce the ghost. The fact that it is under the HasLab umbrella ensures it will be the best possible version the company can produce for the cost. And as the team mentioned at Comic-Con, the Ghost has been in development for two years. During this time, Dave Filoni and his production staff at Lucasfilm were also working on the Ahsoka Disney Plus series, transitioning the characters, vehicles, and planets from the animated realm into a live-action medium. And one of the challenges Filoni and longtime Lucasfilm designer Doug Chang faced was in recreating the ghost for the series. The ship's interior had to serve as a set in which the characters acted out scenes for the story. And Lucasfilm had to craft accurate models for the ship in flight and in action sequences, as well as when it was docked or part of the background in the show. So the Ahsoka team needed to understand every detail of the ghost as well as how it operated. And while the Hasbro team replicated the ship in toy form, Filoni and Chang served as guides to help them get the details right. In Chang, they had the premier Star Wars designer since the time of the prequels. And in Filoni, they had the man who had been the heart of Star Wars for over a decade. Dave Filoni was responsible for overseeing the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, as well as continuing George Lucas's legacy for the franchise. For the Hasbro team, the top Lucasfilm mentors would keep the ghost on the right track. The Phantom The biggest surprise of the HasLab campaign was Hasbro's inclusion of The Phantom 2. The Phantom 2 is the auxiliary shuttle that attaches to the top of the Ghost. The ship played a major role in the Rebels series, as the crew used it for scouting missions. And to many, it became another beloved part of the Ghost and its crew. Being completely honest, I doubted Hasbro would offer the Ghost in the project's base price. I expected it to be the final tier unlock if the number of backers neared 30,000. Or I figured the team would forego the Phantom entirely for this campaign, and would release it eventually at retail and online as part of the Ahsoka series push. There was always the possibility that it could have been a smaller, separate HasLab project as well. But in reality, the Ghost isn't the Ghost without the Phantom. Rebels fans know this, and Hasbro understood that the Phantom was part of the Ghost. And in order to deliver the iconic ship, it needed to include the iconic shuttle. So rather than hold it over fans' heads as some pipe dream unlock, the team figured out a way to include it while keeping the cost for the Ghost at $500. And that meant not creating an interior for it to hold cargo and additional figures. But it does have a working cockpit that seats one figure, and it comes with a partial chopper droid that rides on the side of the ship. The Phantom that comes with the Ghost is the Phantom 2. It was a repurposed shuttle that the crew found after the Phantom 1 was destroyed in the Season 3 premiere. If the HasLab Ghost is truly a success, Hasbro will likely offer a compatible Phantom 1 in the future, to the delight of many Rebels fans.
the power of communication and a novel approach to stretch goals. At its essence, HasLab is about a relationship. It is built upon the call and response between a toy company and its customer base. Through HasLab, Hasbro creates a piece that it believes its fans will want and will pay a premium to own. The company's obligation is to provide the most accurate and exciting example of an on-screen ship, figure, or playset, and then to make a case to consumers as to why they should purchase it. The fans, in turn, share their ideas for toys on their HasLab wishlist. They show their support for the projects by backing early and by spreading the word about them online and over social media. They help make the designer's creations a success. They help bring these offerings into production. They help by bringing these dream pieces home and into their respective collections. But in order for HasLab to truly work, the relationship between company and consumer must continue to thrive. And the foundation, built upon trust and communication, needs to be as solid as bedrock. With the latest HasLab campaign, Hasbro demonstrated it had listened to its fans, starting with the item itself. Patrick recently revealed that the Ghost was the number one requested item from the Star Wars community. The Hasbro team seemed to learn a great deal from its previous failures, and these lessons consistently emphasized the importance of communication. In 2021, the failure of the HasLab Rancor rested on two main elements. The first was the Rancor's inability to reach the minimum funding on its own, without the aid of any incentives or stretch goals. The second was how important the stretch goals became to the campaign, and how the breakdown of communication between what fans wanted and what Hasbro delivered ultimately toppled Jabba's pet beast. For a moment, let's look at both elements a little more deeply, and at how the disconnect of the relationship between company and consumer can negatively affect a major HasLab project. The 2020 Razor Crest reached its minimum backer goal in the first 24 hours after going live. Fans were genuinely excited to get a ship from The Mandalorian, as the show became a global sensation due to the quality of its Star Wars storytelling and the audience's attachment to its characters. As the backer numbers rose with each day, the addition of the stretch goals appealed to collectors, because they saw an even bigger value with their purchases. And momentum continued to the point in which Hasbro was happy to add a total of five stretch goals, in the form of an escape pod, a carded Grogu figure, carbonite blocks, a display stand, and a carded Jawa. The Razorcrest HasLab project was different from that of the Rancor. The stretch goals presented with the Razorcrest were perceived as true bonuses to an already special vehicle. The 2021 Rancor lacked the enthusiasm and breathless frenzy of its predecessor. And since it couldn't get backing on its own, the Rancor project became even more reliant upon the stretch goals. In fact, the incentives weren't really viewed as bonuses. For many, the strength of the stretch goals would make the difference whether collectors would back the project or not. And it was at this point in the relationship where Hasbro had to prove to its base that the Rancor would be a worthwhile investment. Fans had been very vocal about getting at least one new and exclusive figure with the set, 
They had wanted Malakili, the Rancor Keeper who had yet to be introduced to the Black Series figure line. They had also requested characters like Jabba's ill-fated dancer Ula, or a version of a roughed-up Luke Skywalker from the scene in which he defended himself against the Rancor using a bone and a skull. However, Hasbro's plans for the four stretch goal tiers did little to excite fans, and to make the project feel special. The first tier was a repack of the Gamorrean Guard on an exclusive card back. This was the same Gamorrean Guard which had been released at retail two years earlier, and was still languishing on store shelves at discount outlets. The second tier was not a figure, but consisted of a few plastic skulls and bones, as well as a simple cardboard backdrop of the Rancor Pit. The reaction to this tier was one of frustration and disappointment, as the items were viewed as ones that should have come with the Rancor from the start. They were certainly not exciting enough to be an offering in a project in which the stretch goals would ultimately decide its fate. The third and fourth tiers were announced together, in the hopes of adding a desperately needed spark to the campaign. The third was another reissued figure. This time it was Jabba's sidekick, Salacious Crumb. The figure wasn't even in the Rancor Pit sequence in the film, and to many, it felt like a lazy and cost-saving addition. And the final tier was an all-new Luke Jedi figure, but one that would be available at retail within the coming year but it was set at such a high backer goal that there was only a minuscule chance of the figure becoming a part of the campaign. The final tiers did the opposite of what they intended. After the announcement, the project actually lost 500 backers, pulling it farther from its goal of the minimum backing. Hasbro had spaced out the stretch goal reveals in the hopes of keeping up momentum over the six-week campaign but in a project in which the stretch goals were crucial to its success, the weight between announcements raised both expectations and the level of disappointment. Five days before the project's deadline, Hasbro announced it had heard the fans and would include a Rancor Keeper with the base set, if it reached the minimum backing goal. This last-ditch effort left fans without an image of what that figure would look like. Additionally, Hasbro confirmed that the Rancor Keeper would not be an exclusive and would be available at retail within the coming year. There would be no exclusive packaging for the figure either, as it would come in a plastic bag. The addition of Malakili boosted up the backer numbers, but not enough to put the Rancor into production. And so, instead of becoming yet another example of the beautiful relationship between Hasbro and its fanbase, the Rancor became the first Star Wars HasLab failure. For this year's HasLab offering, Hasbro tried a new and more transparent approach in presenting the Ghost. During the Comic-Con panel, the team not only premiered the Ghost, but shared the three stretch goals up front. In doing so, Hasbro revealed where the project was heading over the next six weeks. It took the guesswork out of the tears on the part of the fans and set realistic expectations early to avoid any frustration or disappointment later in the campaign. The ghost trajectory aligns more closely to that of the Razorcrest than of the Rancor. Within four days of the campaign, the ghost had reached its minimum backer goal and was working its way toward its first stretch goal. Currently, it is seeing similar daily numbers as well, 
and is within 2% of where the Razorcrest was at this point during its campaign. Adding to that momentum is Hasbro's selection of stretch goals. To Star Wars and Rebels fans, the most important additions to the Ghost would be the members of its crew. The Ghost comes with its owner, pilot Harrison Dula, which was put into production at 8,000 backers. At 11,000, Tier 1 will include the young Jedi in training, Ezra Bridger. At 14,000, Tier 2 consists of Ezra's mentor, the Jedi Kanan Jarrus. And if the project reaches 17,000 backers, the third and final tier will be the lovable purple Lasat creature, Zeb Aurelios. With these three tiers, Hasbro didn't cut corners or produce the bare minimum. Instead, it offered fans exactly what they wanted. The four Rebels figures are modeled after how they appeared in the fourth and final season of the revered animated series. At the presentation panel, the Hasbro team confirmed that these season four iterations of the characters would never be released outside of the HasLab project. They were true exclusives and would come with accessories and alternate head sculpts unique to that season of the show. This was a brilliant move by Hasbro. It showed the toy company had listened to the desires of its fans and had come up with a creative way to offer exclusive versions of the characters that wouldn't result in frustrating reissues at retail at a later date. These exclusives would be a factor in the project's success, pushing collectors to back the ghost. And Hasbro could release versions of the same characters to a larger audience in the years to come focusing on the figure designs from the other three seasons of the series, as well as the older versions of the Ghost Crew as they will appear in the upcoming Ahsoka show. And Star Wars fans who back the Ghost will continue to buy these alternate versions to fill their ships with the characters at the different eras of the Rebels' story. And when it comes to these HasLab figures, it's not just the designs that are unique. The cardbacks are also welcomed exclusives. One of the most iconic images in the world of Rebels is one that connects the animated series with the live-action Ahsoka show. In the epilogue of the series finale, Sabine visits the large mural she painted that depicts the ghost crew together. For Ahsoka, Dave Filoni recreated that moment on screen and recreated that impressive mural. The Hasbro team used the character illustrations from the mural for each of the exclusive cardback images. So these details are what made previous successful HasLab projects so very memorable and so desirable among fans. And in presenting part of the crew on exclusive cardbacks, Hasbro left the door open for potential stretch goal additions if the campaign gains further traction over the remaining weeks. After all, the company knows its fans will not be fully satisfied without being afforded the opportunity to finish the cardback mural. And I could see a situation in which three more tiers are added to get the backing into the 28,000 range reached by the Razorcrest. At 20,000 backers, we may see an acrylic stand to be able to display the ship in mid-flight. And at 23,000 and 26,000, we could receive the final two members of the Spectre Squad the Mandalorian warrior Sabine Wren, and the cantankerous droid Chopper. 
giving fans exclusive figures based on beloved characters, ones that tie directly into the essence of the ghost, has not only met fans' expectations for a dream project, but has likely surpassed them. The ghost and its accessories and tears have made this recent project truly special and worthy of the HasLab moniker. The relationship between the toy company and its consumers has been largely repaired after the previous two HasLab failures. And when it comes to the ghost performance as a HasLab offering, the galaxy is the limit, especially if the Ahsoka series turns out to be a hit. A tangible ghost. One of the best decisions the Hasbro team made was to have a physical model of the ghost at the Hasbro booth at Comic-Con. After the panel ended, the team carried it to a HasLab-branded table in the center of the booth to present it up close to fans. In the past, projects like the Razorcrest and the Rancor only offered digital renderings of the toy to the audience of Star Wars collectors. A digital render against a black background helps to give potential backers an idea of how the final product will look, but it cannot compare to seeing the scale of the piece on a table or in a designer's hands. And the prototype model of the ghost that premiered at Comic-Con was not only fully painted, but included hand-painted prototypes of the exclusive figures as well. In addition to getting extensive social media coverage from the physical model's reveal at the Hasbro booth, the ghost became a tangible toy from the first hour of the campaign. And I think that may have had an impact on fans, as the project was no longer an idea, but a reality. Together, these are some of the elements that have made the Ghost a success within the first week of its 47-day campaign. I wanted to share them with you because the sentiment surrounding Star Wars HasLab projects has been rooted in disappointment and frustration for the past two years. And the Ghost is turning that sentiment around and bringing the best out of the Hasbro team and Star Wars fans. The Rebels series is one of the most underrated Star Wars stories of all time. Each day brings a new group of fans to discover the brilliance of the show. And the fact that the Ahsoka series is a continuation of the Rebels storyline has caused many to watch it on Disney+, Plus, leading up to the August 23rd premiere. As the rumors swelled over the past year, I had my reservations about a HasLab ghost. There were so many ways in which this project could have gone wrong. And to finally get the Ghost and the Rebels crew for the three and three-quarter inch vintage collection line is a dream for many that is ten years in the making. So there was a lot of room for potential disappointment. But Hasbro seemed to have learned from the previous mistakes of the last two Star Wars HasLab projects and they seem to have adapted what worked with other toy lines into the design and presentation of the Ghost. 
In this relationship between Hasbro and its Star Wars fans, the toy company did all it could to provide collectors with the best possible representation of the prized Rebels vessel. Now, it is up to the fans to pre-order enough ghosts to cross the three backer tiers and to possibly bring home the entire Spectre Squadron if the campaign reaches territory first blazed by the Razorcrest. With the HasLab Ghost, Hasbro has done its part. How will the next five weeks play out? Stay tuned for more HasLab coverage on Star Wars, Prototypes, and production.